Welcome to Terrible, a Canadian true crime podcast. I'm Marie. And I'm Renee. We're two friends that discuss true crime stories in hopes to prepare ourselves for life's most terrible things. Quick disclaimer, the following podcast will include graphic and explicit content. Our goal is to respect victims and their families. We do not want to sensationalize crimes or glorify criminals. We are not experts. We want to tell these stories in order to learn from them and make sure victims and their families are not forgotten. Just before we get started, we want to mention that we do have a merch store. There's lots of great stuff on there. So if you guys want to check it out and support the show, you can find us on Etsy and look us up at Terrible True Crime. The last thing is that it really, really helps us when you rate the show and leave a review or a comment wherever you listen. Let's get into some updates. So personal updates. Last weekend, I went to Country Thunder in Calgary. It's a country music festival. I had the best time of my life. It's my first festival since COVID hit like over two years ago. I danced, I sang. Renee is a real cowgirl. <laughs> I had the best time, you guys. Like I feel <laughs> like in my soul is so happy. So that is my update. And yes, lots of happiness. And I can't wait for it next year. I love that. So as Renee's living her best life, going out to festivals, I'm still watching Netflix over here. So <laughs> since all my updates are always about what I'm watching, I figured I would say what I'm watching right now, which I literally just started today, but oh my God, I'm obsessed. It's the life after death with Tyler Henry, the medium. <gasps> Have you heard of him? No. Oh, What's <laughs> he's amazing on Netflix. Ooh. Yeah. And it's, I don't know how many episodes there is, but it's, he basically has like a wait list of 300 plus thousand people that like wait to get a call from him to be like, yeah, I'm coming to read you or whatever. <sighs> amazing, 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 amazing. Is like, it like chills. a show or does he do it in person? Like he like flies to the person and does it? Yeah. Or, okay. Oh, it's kind of like what it, medium style. Yes. Yeah. Cool. I like yeah. That. It's amazing. Check it out. I absolutely love it. And it's, strange because I didn't know that before I started watching it but his mom basically was raised by like her mom was not her biological mom and she only found out like in her mid-50s that whoever raised her claimed to be her mom and actually murdered two people and is living a life sentence yeah it's messed up so like so his real mom actually murdered two people sorry sorry no no not his his mom so his grandma so 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 tyler the medium he's our age okay his mom okay just found out that her mom tyler's grandma yeah was not is not her biological mom she's in her 50s and has just found this out and she's like basically saying like thank goodness she's not because she's a horrible person like she's yeah she's murdered she's like yeah a bad person so it's like like so weird crime yeah there's like a true crime twist tv show yeah and i I googled trying to find like if there's any new information now but i couldn't find anything but it's like so he's trying to help his mom kind of like figure that out also like who's her biological biological mom and were you stolen as a baby or yeah because apparently because apparently like because she has two siblings that now she knows aren't biological siblings but obviously they grew up together like they're gonna stay important in each other's lives but apparently I guess it was like their mom left and came back like a few weeks later I don't know what the situation Mm -hmm. was but just came back with her and they didn't really know like what happened yeah how messed up is that yeah so cool I won't watch this yeah another good recommendation i friggin love it um in terms of 
current crime updates. I'm letting you guys down this week. I spent maybe 30 minutes searching, trying to find something. And honestly, I was creeped out by everything I was reading because I'm like, this is too much. Like I allow Renee to tell me one case a week and that fills up my true crime tank. And other than that, I get terrified. And I swear everything I came across, I was like, uh, I was like, the world is disgusting even now. Oh no, that's totally yeah. fair. Like there was one that was reading where he put his mom's body in a freezer in his basement, but she died of natural causes, but he just like tried to hide her anyways. I don't know. It's just like creepy oh stuff like that. I was God. like, yeah, sorry. Can't do it. Okay. That's so fine. I'm leaving we'll it to Renee. I'll give you a pass. I have sort of a quick one. And basically what I want to do is end up covering this for our September bonus episode in Patreon, because I had no idea about this case and you might, I don't know how I didn't know this. I feel like us being the same age as the girl we're going to talk about. I don't know. I feel like this should have came across my radar at some point, but it didn't. There is news in the Amanda Todd case. Are you familiar with it? I don't think so. Okay. So Amanda Todd was a 15-year-old Canadian student that was a victim of cyberbullying. And then she, sorry, Renee, (laughs) she looks like a typical like Tumblr girl back in the day but that's the only thing that like kind of like rings the bell like she looks like she would be all over tumblr right so we're gonna have to post a picture of the picture Matthew is looking at because that's exactly what i thought so i don't know if she started this trend because what happens next would basically go viral or if she just used this trend to kind of express herself are us tumblr kids like us like you know us kids that grew up with tumblr in high school are going to know exactly what I'm describing, but she's holding up pieces of paper in front of a screen and she's going to be like flipping the pieces of paper up and it's going to say a message um, on each piece of paper and it's basically going to tell some sort of story. So that was pretty common in the Tumblr era when Tumblr was really popular. So basically because of the cyberbullying, she completed suicide on October 10th of 2012 in her home in Port Coquitlam, British Columbia. Before she died, she posted a video on YouTube in which she used a series of flashcards to tell her experience of being blackmailed into exposing herself via webcam. She also talked about being bullied and being physically assaulted. So again, like I just mentioned, the video goes viral, so it hits, you know, the news, it probably spreads throughout many high schools, many cities, many towns and countries. This puts pressure on the RCMP and the British Columbia Coroner Service to launch an investigation into her suicide. And basically throughout this entire investigation, I'm not going to go into too many details because I am going to cover it on our Patreon, but during the investigation, they tracked down a Dutch man named Aidan Coben. He's obviously much older than Amanda and they extradite him in 2020 from the Netherlands to Canada to face trial on charges of harassing and sexually extorting Amanda before she died. They just had his trial and it started in June of 2022. It concluded on August 5th and the jury found him guilty on all counts. His sentence is to be decided the week of September 20th. Wow. Yeah, so I just think this is extremely interesting. It's sort of a different kind of case. I haven't done a deep dive yet, so I'm looking forward to it. And yeah, so basically he was held responsible a lot, I think, for mostly the blackmailing part. I quickly read parts about him hacking into other people's webcams, which is terrifying. So I'm really looking forward to doing a deep dive. And I'm happy that Amanda's family is getting like some sort of justice, even if it's many, many years later. I mean, you can't do this to people. You can't drive people to 
do things like this and there needs to be some accountability held on his part for sure so i'm glad there has been so i just see yeah. people who like do that kind of stuff i know and she's like a 96 so she she knows she yeah. would have been our age she has the big sweeping side mm-hmm. bang you guys get me you know like yeah. the, the large side part with the side bang and her hair is mm-hmm. curly but her bangs are straight like i see myself so much in her because yeah. we were the same age and we were going through the same things around the same time obviously not not to, I mean, like growing up at the same time and kind of hitting those milestones. It's like we all had a webcam, you know, like maybe not using it in all the same way, but yeah, I mean, like, like MSN, picture, like, yeah, yes, like to her computer, what exactly. she was doing, the Tumblr feed that she had. Mm-hmm. Like, I just, I see it so much. So uh, we're glad that there has been some sort of justice for Amanda Todd. And we're looking forward to covering her case because we think it's very important. Yes. And remember, the internet has creepers on there. So, you know. Be careful, people. Be careful. Be so careful. All right. Let's get into today's case. So today we're going to be talking about Dylan Koshman. Dylan was born on April 11th of 1987 to parents Dan and Melanie. He grew up in Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan, a town just under an hour drive away from Regina. Dylan was one of five children. He had two older siblings and two younger, so he was smack in the middle. Growing up, he loved camping and spending time outside. He is described as entertaining. He liked to make fun of everyone and laugh and tease others. As he grew up, he took pretty good care of himself and often went to the gym. He was in good shape. However, he was still described as pretty shy, but very likable. He had lots of friends from different friend groups. I feel like this is like a true sign of a special person, someone who like independently has friends in several different Mm. friend groups. They can kind of mold themselves and just fit in anywhere. And like just like someone without judgment. You know what I mean? Like you'll be friends with anyone who you vibe with. And I think that's really nice especially yes, as like a, a teenager you know when there's a lot of judgment going around yeah after high school dylan wanted to get out of his small town his mom shared with the generation y podcast that he was looking for a new adventure however he had strong ties to his family so he wouldn't have gone too far his plan was to head to edmonton on his way he stopped in red deer for a few months to live with his older sister tara red deer is about an hour and a half from edmonton and halfway between edmonton and calgary When he finally arrived in Edmonton, he moved in with his two older cousins. These were two brothers, so one was named Nick and the other Colin. They were renting a house in the south side of Edmonton. Dylan found work as an apprentice pipe fitter while he was there. While living there, he met a girl named Erin. She would later become his girlfriend. Not all of his family knew about his girlfriend. It was sort of newish, so, you know, people around him at the time knew, but not really. His parents didn't know, no extended family. Things so far seem pretty good for Dylan. However, back at the bachelor pad that was the home he was sharing with his two cousins, tension was sort of building. I'm assuming over a couple of different things, but the one that is mentioned the most was that Dylan was bringing Aaron around the house a lot. This seemed to irritate the other boys, and I think mostly Colin from what I understand, and Colin insisted that Dylan start paying more because his girlfriend is spending more time at the house. Why do I feel like this is literally always a thing? I feel like I've heard that so many times. Yeah. Like, that's not fair. Like, it's your house. You're allowed to have whoever you want come over, even if it's most of the time. It's one thing if she's, like, eating all the food in the fridge and doing things like that. That's a conversation to be had. But just for having someone over, if you're buying your own food, spending your time in your room, spending time together, and they're not bothering anyone... It's not really fair to ask that, in my opinion. Aaron later said in an episode of The Fifth Estate 
that Dylan was planning on finding a new place to live. So it was getting kind of so bad that he was irritated and probably angry at the situation and was looking for a new place to live. All right, so now at this time in our timeline, it's Thanksgiving weekend in October of 2008. By this time, Dylan had been living in Edmonton for about six months. Just a reminder, right now he's in his early 20s and he's feeling kind of homesick. So he invited another cousin to come down from Moose Jaw. This cousin was named Cameron. So he invites Cameron to come down for the weekend and spend the weekend at his place that he shares with his two other cousins. Lots of cousins. <laughs> when Cameron arrives on the Friday night, it causes a fight. I guess Colin was not a fan of Cameron because his arrival brings the tension to a boiling point. And he sort of officially, unofficially evicts <laughs> Dylan. Well, yeah. I'm guessing I went something like get your shit and go. <laughs> I don't know, you know, he's not really officially evicting him, but he's telling him to leave. So this is on the Friday night of the Thanksgiving long weekend. After they exchange some words, I'm assuming they both go their separate ways. Colin goes out drinking and Dylan and Cameron go out drinking. Separately. Separately. Yes, <laughs> very separately. They're not fans of each other at this moment. When Dylan and Cameron come back, Dylan takes a nap. While Dylan is sleeping, it's reported that Cameron goes out, does something, and comes back. It's not really clear what he did. After this is over, Cameron comes home, Dylan wakes up. It's reported that at some point they go out to eat, I believe, or I don't know if they ordered in or they ate at home. At some point, a meal was had. And then once that's done, the pair continue drinking. While they're drinking at home, they're talking about beating up or fighting Colin. You know, they're still upset, obviously. There's a lot of tension. They're drinking. There's a lot going on. Nick, though, who is Colin's brother, is home at the time and overhears this conversation. He calls Colin or texts him, not really sure, and lets him know, like, hey. They're talking Cameron, shit. Let's go. Yeah they're, talk yeah, they're talking shit. So you better come home. Once Colin comes back to the home, a fight begins. Do we know how old Colin think, and his brother are? I think they're slightly older. I don't think they're so much. much older, but I think they're slightly older. Okay. So the two, no doubt intoxicated, fight, it gets physical, you know, they're pushing each other up around in the kitchen, punches are being thrown, and after the fight, Dylan leaves. He's just like, bye, I'm done, I'm walking out. You know, like, when you're drinking and you think, like, I'm over this, and you just get up and go. <laughs> you have no plan, like, there's yeah. zero forethought, you're just like, bye, I'm going. This is sort of what Dylan does. At this point, he's wearing a t-shirt, jeans, and skateboarding shoes. The weather that night was below zero, and this was the last confirmed sighting of Dylan. Oh, no. I feel like it really sucks that he just went missing like that because as his family, you probably, one, feel like absolute shit knowing that he never comes back, especially when it's, like, a stupid fight. Like, yeah, oh, I want her to nothing. pay rent. Like, yeah, relax. Like, come back the next day and be like, oh, you know, we'll figure it out. Yeah. That just takes, yeah, that's an unfortunate turn. So there was technically maybe another sighting of Dylan, but I only saw it in one place and I couldn't really confirm if it was like an actual confirmed sighting or just someone who later said, oh, I saw a man traveling towards 34th Ave and Calgary Trail that night around the same time. That's sort of a, a maybe. So right now we're in the early morning hours of Saturday, October 11th. Cameron at this point also decides to leave. He's thinking, okay, my cousin who invited me here is gone. These guys don't want me here. I'm going to go. After this, Dylan's phone tries to call Cameron several times. Later, his phone also messaged his brother, so Dylan's brother Derek on MSN, throwback, <laughs> and asks his brother for his number. So he messages, so Dylan, last confirmed sighting, he's leaving the house. 
A man is seen traveling towards 34th Ave and Calgary Trail. Dylan's phone calls Cameron several times. There's no answer. Later, his phone messages his brother Derek on MSN and asks his brother to give him his number. So he wants Derek's number. Cameron says he missed Wait, these... why doesn't he have Derek's number? I don't know. That's a very good question. Oh. Don't know. Unconfirmed. <laughs> question mark. <laughs> question mark. Cameron says later that he missed these calls because he was trying to dial 911. He was trying to call them and tell them that he was hiding from Colin around that time that Dylan was trying to call. 911 does get a call after 4 a.m. from a neighbor of the boys. This caller is reporting a fight. So this was after Dylan had already left the house. So we can assume that the fight that was happening was potentially between Nick, Colin, and Cameron. However, the police unfortunately don't show up for a few hours. And when they do, they see nothing and they just leave. Like there's no fights in the backyard, in the front yeah. yard, nothing. There's no commotion. So they go mm, and they leave. Aaron. Dylan's girlfriend had called him around 3.30 a.m. She had been out with some friends and was planning on maybe going by the house. But when it went to voicemail, she figured he must have fallen asleep. So the next, basically the next day, so I was talking early morning Saturday night. So by the evening on Saturday, Erin has still not been able to reach Dylan. So she calls the home phone. Colin finally answers the phone and doesn't give Erin any information about where Dylan is. And she asks him, okay, well, can I come by and grab some stuff? And he basically tells her, like, no, you're not allowed to come by the house. So, like, rude. But yeah. he's bitter. He's bitter about the situation. And, like, we can assume that at this point he doesn't know that mm -hmm. anything bad might have happened to Dylan. Yeah. Erin begins to get worried. And she calls the local hospital as well as the remand center to see if he had been maybe arrested that night. It's still nothing. So no information from the hospitals. And the remand center wouldn't confirm or deny anything. They're not supposed to give out personal information, I guess. So they just say, sorry, we can't tell you. But when Tuesday rolls around and Dylan doesn't show up for work, he's a no call, no show. So it doesn't let anyone know that he's not coming, but doesn't show up. Aaron calls Dylan's brother and lets him know, like, okay, now I'm really worried. The brother eventually does tell Dylan's mom, Melanie, and Melanie tries to call to report him missing. They don't let her report him missing because remember, she's in Moose Jaw. So they say that you can't report someone missing from Moose Jaw in Edmonton. So in the Generation Y podcast that I listened to, Melanie is interviewed and she does say that this is no longer a thing. But at that point, they were... Like, they were refusing to take the missing person's report. I don't like that. No, it's like, hello, just take it. Either way. Just take it, I'm going to leave you a number of someone else to call to confirm that, like, has, hasn't seen him or that isn't his life regularly yeah. around this time. At least just take it. Especially when time is of an essence when you're missing. Yeah, definitely. And you're thinking, like, he went, he went missing Saturday night in the early mornings of Saturday. It's Tuesday, probably even later than Tuesday, because by Tuesday... It's probably like midweek, probably Wednesday or Thursday if I had to guess. So, obviously probably panicked, Melanie calls Colin. He's a family member and she tells him, please report her son missing, report Dylan missing. Well, Colin never did. Aaron, however, did on October 15th. Finally, Dylan going missing is public information. So there's a police report and the news starts to sort of hit the media. Melanie makes her way to Edmonton with other members of Dylan's family. Family and volunteers get together to begin a search. They're searching close areas to the house and they pass around many flyers. The family has been critical of the way that the Edmonton police handled the search and the limitations that there are when a person is only missing but hasn't been murdered. So 
I guess saying they were I don't want to say it's an excuse but they were sort of saying things like well we could potentially like get his phone records if he wasn't murdered but because he's just missing there's certain like privacy acts or things like that in place that are stopping us which is obviously extremely frustrating for the family Mm -hmm. especially when you know something's wrong you know like let's not get to the point where he has been murdered let's try to you know find him alive yeah exactly it's it's really concerning actually when you think about it and how hard that must have been for them Mm, i would hate that i can't imagine being a fan member like panicking just trying to find someone and feeling like no one is kind of helping or Mm -hmm. you're just stuck you don't have a choice even though you would do everything in your power to find them you're unable to yeah you have the resources the police do however organize their own search they also use police dogs in the search Eventually, Dylan's wallet was found in the next-door neighbor's yard. Other than that, they had no luck. This is weird too, right? So he walks out, he's wearing jeans, a t-shirt, and shoes. And what, his wallet falls out of his back pocket, he gets rid of it. He had been drinking a lot that night, like we discussed, but had taken a nap between drinking sessions and had definitely had a meal, which I'm pretty sure was at a restaurant and was seen by other people. So he was you know, a pretty big fit guy, you have to think, you know, how drunk really was he? Well, it's hard to tell, obviously. I feel like I lose things pretty easily. <laughs> I was gonna say, I feel like one day, maybe on the Patreon, you need to tell the special story of how you got lost in Toronto and stumbled your way and made your way back home, even though uh, it was a freaking miracle. But miracle. yeah, this is ba- like, put yourself in that night for you. Uh, and you're heading out the door i'd be long gone so it really depends on what kind of state he was in and we can rely so the family i know eventually went to talk to the waitress that served dylan and cameron the food that night and she did say that he had a large meal that he didn't seem like he did maybe he was drinking but didn't seem he wasn't like severely intoxicated yeah so it's really hard to tell investigators theorize that dylan died of exposure so they're thinking that it was obviously very cold that night, that alcohol was involved, and Dylan kind of just stumbled off and must have succumbed to the elements. But if oh. they don't find, like Renee's, Renee, Renee's famous line for missing persons <laughs> is that like someone doesn't just, you know, disappear like, yeah. off the earth, like they're somewhere. Why, yeah. why can't we find them? I'm like, if they're in a body of water, they'd float. <laughs> like, I'm just, like, trying to think of different things. Like, like it's not like you just, like, walk away and then you fall into a river and then well, you disintegrate like that. And... Like, yeah, that's just someone buries you, though, right? Like, yeah. well, that's the thing. Just, then it's you just walk down the street, than... die of exposure, and then poof, you're gone. Like, your, <laughs> yeah. your body is there. So, I don't know. I get what they're saying because there's so many question marks in this case and it doesn't seem to really make any sense. Um, I don't like it. I don't like their theory. But it, yeah, like this is the closest thing to, I think, what they can say. However, it doesn't make sense. Wrong. It's wrong. I agree. (laughs) Okay, let's just go ahead and discuss theories. So theory number one, he's intoxicated, walks out into the middle of the night, dies of exposure. And let's say his body is conveniently just like fallen somewhere where nobody has found it. Okay. Theory number two. He did walk out in the middle of the night. It was cold. He was intoxicated. Maybe someone hit him with a car. Maybe something happened to him and he was met with foul play. 
Theory number three, which I'm gonna go ahead and say that this, I don't think this is very likely because, well, these people are still out there and living their lives. I don't want to point blame, and I don't think this has a lot of substance to it. I think they would have flipped on each other by now, but some people say he never actually left the house that night and something happened to him while he was there. Oh. I just, but I think that, I don't think so. Like, you're telling me that these three guys, two of them, okay, he was in a fight with, but the other one is Cameron. Yeah. So I, I don't buy that. I just don't think that's very, I don't think Dylan's family really buys that either. Yeah, no, I think the second one is probably the more likely. But then you guys think, okay, you're Thanksgiving weekend, you're a drunk driver, you hit someone. But this is a big guy. Like Dylan was a big, handsome, muscular guy. So <laughs> like you're telling me you hit this big guy and what you pick him and put him in your car? What about abducting him and like using him as like a pimp or something? I feel like I would maybe <laughs> go with that if he was a girl, but I'm not gonna, <laughs> I'm not sure how I feel like get trafficked into pimping, but maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. I just, I'm not like seeing where this makes sense. It's a weird one. In a CBC article published in 2016, they mentioned that every year Dylan's family gathers for a memorial on Thanksgiving weekend. Oh, that's so sad that it's on Thanksgiving weekend, too. They take a trip to 34th Avenue and Calgary Trail and hold a vigil for him. Melanie said, We make this trip to hold a vigil in his honor and to remind people that he's still missing and to pray to God that we find him. The most important is getting his name and face out there again and maybe someone that knows something that has some small memory that isn't significant to them. It would make a world of a difference to the police. In 2007, Dylan's missing persons case went from missing persons to homicide, so the homicide unit took over. Dylan's family had to learn about this change through the media, <sighs> which is horrible. Dylan's sister Tara said the following about the change. It kind of seemed like a cold case, and now there's some renewed hope that there's more information out there, and the police are hopefully getting closer. But unfortunately, when we go see them, they still say they have no indication he's deceased. So I have no idea why they changed it over and why they announced it like this. It's all speculation on what they could have. And really, it drives a person crazy not knowing. I wonder if it's like a specific amount of time you go missing, then you're technically like transferred over. I think after a specific amount of time, you can declare someone dead. But I don't know if within police precincts or like regions that are police there's like an automatic yeah. switch over but i can look it up for next episode to see i just hate that families notified like that like that's absolutely disgusting to me that's like an oopsie on their part imagine sure. waking up like on a tuesday morning getting ready for work watching the morning news with your cup of coffee and you see that your son's case or your brother or whatever has yeah. been transferred something that you think about probably every day that haunts you every day that you wonder about that like she said drives a person crazy not yeah. knowing and then you find out this like huge chunk of information and then you think well do they know something we don't know and then they don't say anything it's yeah i can't imagine do we know how colin's feeling at this point like do we hear from him at all so in the fifth estate sort of documentary episode colin is not interviewed he actually refused the interview but I think, so Tara, Dylan's sister, sort of talks about this in the Generation Y episode, and I didn't just listen to the episode, I, I did a lot of research, but it was very useful because they interviewed the family. In this, Tara said that she wishes that Colin would have done the show, but that she understands that his fingers have been 
pointed mm -hmm. at him throughout this and that's probably one of the big reasons why he just like does not want to be involved which i get like i get it you know yeah. it's hard though because it's family and you obviously want you know you want to find them but i don't know exactly how he's feeling but as far as i know he has not done like any recent interview yeah yeah, no, I don't blame him either. Like, it's clearly not like a, a nice position to be in for sure. But it, I, I am curious to see like how someone would feel knowing that's how they left off, you know? I'm going to assume he's a decent mm -hmm. person because I don't know him. Yeah. Um, But I'm sure he feels awful. Mm -hmm. Like that, that sucks. sucks. It probably haunts him. And, you know, you get into fights with family, you get into fights with friends and you don't think it's going to be your last one when they just walk away. Yeah, exactly. In 2018, in a CTV News article, Melanie is interviewed again. She said that the 10 years that her son has been missing have felt very long and have left her with many questions. Where is he? Is he okay? Is he hurting? The majority of us believe he is gone from this earth. We have no other explanation. Is there hope? For sure. But our hope is also to find him no matter what and get the answers that we desperately need. We need the truth. I'm just praying that someone out there will come forward that knows something and can bring so much peace to so many people. It's hard waiting, but I do believe that we will someday find out what happened to Dylan. So just to recap, Dylan disappeared on October 11th, 2008. He disappeared from Edmonton, Alberta. At the time of his disappearance, he was 21 years old. His date of birth is April 11th, 1987. He was 5'9". 190 pounds. He had brown hair and hazel eyes and was a Caucasian male. The investigating agency is Edmonton Police Service Historical Homicide Department and he was actually deaf in one ear. He also notably had a slight scar on his left cheek and left eyebrow. He was wearing earrings in both ears, jeans, a dark colored t-shirt, and skateboarding shoes. He had no tattoos. If you have any information on this case, please contact the following. Edmonton Police Service at 780-423-4561 or Crime Stoppers at 1-800-222-8477 or you can go online at canadiancrimestoppers.org. You know, just thinking the fact that he's deaf in one ear, he was intoxicated, it's like early hours of the morning. Those are all like signs that makes him more vulnerable like once he's out mm. in the below zero weather. Yeah, you're right. You know, I, I didn't mention that he was deaf in one ear before because I thought it might not be relevant, but you're you're right. Like yeah. I, I was thinking this the other day, so I was walking my dog and I rely so much on my hearing to hear if a car's coming. I'll obviously look both ways, mm -hmm. but if I don't hear one, I won't like immediately look both ways. I'll yeah. start taking a couple of steps and then maybe look both ways. And these new electric cars are so quiet that I looked and it like scared me. Like I wasn't mm -hmm. near getting hit or anything. Yeah. But I, I was shocked that a car was there because I couldn't hear it at all. So maybe the potentially getting hit by a car and something happening to him after that is more plausible if he's intoxicated, it's cold, it's freezing, and it's on his, he's on the side where yeah. he's listening where his you know not so great ear is oh dylan yeah we really hope that one day dylan's family gets some get some information and they get to find out what happened to their son to their brother and to their loved one and hopefully to help with that this week we'll be donating to crime stoppers association of edmonton and northern alberta 
Crime Stoppers is a charitable, not-for-profit organization that allows tipsters to anonymously report information about crimes or suspicious behavior through calling or submitting online. If you would like to contribute to Crime Stoppers, the link to donate will be in our description and Instagram and TikTok bio. As always, pictures for this case will be posted on our Instagram, so please follow us at Terrible True Crime. And if you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and leave us a review below. If you have any case suggestions, please send us a message on our socials or email us at terribletruecrime at gmail.com. Just a reminder that if you're curious at any of the sources we use, all of our case sources will be linked in our description below. Thank you for joining us. And see you next time.